Diego signing on to the CP show. Hope everyone is having a fantastic Saturday night. It's been a busy week in the political world and we have a lot to talk about. We have a great show for you guys tonight. We're going to be talking about executive orders, the two-party system, frustration with DC, and how that's energized people to get involved. But first, our introductions. As always, I am your host, Diego, and I have my wonderful co-host here, Kathleen (laughs) Gomez. How are you doing, Kathleen? I'm doing really well, thank you. How are, and you're doing well, I assume. Yeah, you know, not bad. We got some uh, some good weather, and uh, you know, it's kind of just looking like it's starting to be spring. I know not so much in the northeast, but uh, for out for us out west, at least. I know. <laughs> Don't you feel so sorry for those people in Washington and New York? They're going to get all the snow. <laughs> I my my heart weeps for them. I can't help it. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, they you know, shoveling snow is good for the soul, so. <laughs> But anyway, we are going to be talking about quite a lot today, but as always, we are the CP Show. We are part of the Know Your Vote initiative, uh, hashtag Know Your Vote on Twitter. And basically what that's all about is we have tons of support for going out to vote and getting out the vote. But we think it's equally as important that you know your vote. So that means knowing who, when you're voting, who you're voting for and what they represent. Do they represent the values that you have? We think that's way as important, if not more. We also are running with Candidates Platform, which is our kind of solution to the question. Basically, what we want to do is a one-stop place for you to run and research up on candidates who are uh, running for office in your area, as well as the other half of the Know Your Vote is um, just getting actually people more educated on how to run. So if you, uh, you know, kind of feel intimidated by the process of running for an elected office, this would be very simple and very intuitive. So, Kathleen, why don't we start uh, kind of the show talking about some executive orders that have been going on recently. Oh, yes. How many is it now? I know, is it about 34? Uh, somewhere around there. I know it's it's the most they've ever had. Um, I think, you know, normally it's pretty regular to get, you know, a couple, but this has definitely been a large amount. However, on you know, t- to be fair, you could say that a lot of the executive orders are our orders to reverse previous executive orders. So, you know, that's kind of an interesting point I've heard thrown around. Yeah, that, that's true. But then, then what, you know, it's almost like, is this what's going to happen every time there's a change of power? Everyone's just going to negate what the previous administration did. And when you have at least half the population who voted for whichever person is in power, I mean, it just doesn't seem the right way to legislate. And I think that's the question that a lot of people are having when they sit and think about this, there should be discussion on every executive order or every issue that he's been doing executive orders on. Shouldn't that be a discussion in the House and in the Senate? Because 
we, we elect those senators and congressmen to represent us, to have that debate, not to simply have a president who, you know, I was looking at on TV and watching this, and I thought the mask that everyone is wearing now almost seems to even be more devious in a way because it's it's like you can't really see the per, you can't really see President Biden. It's almost like he's hiding behind something, and then these orders that he's just writing. Just I mean, I, for me as the you know last of the baby boomers. This is just something out of a very bad dream. Well, I think the issue with, I think that people would say with it is that, you know, nothing can really get done if it's going through the system. I mean, we already, you know, we're, we're about two weeks in now to, um, to the Biden administration and a kind of the big key thing that everyone agrees needs to be handled is kind of the COVID relief. And we've had, you know, basically no, very little movement in a bipartisan way. You know, what has been done has been done partisan wise. Um, and so I, I do think that there is some, some issues where, you know, if you were to try and do everything, um, through, you know, kind of the traditional way and, and pass laws that nothing would really get done. Um, yeah. But, but do you agree that you should just do it by executive order? Is that the, well, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's what's going to, Basically, the thing is, is that it's you can either do it by executive, get something done by executive order, or get nothing done by executive order. Well, then why have the legislature and the Congress then? Well, and then that's I think the big thing that everyone's kind of upset about is that you know we do have these two sides um, that do have a very sports-like you know approach to it of you know red team, blue team, and as long as this kind of stays up, and as long as we have these people that basically are saying, hey, you know. Um, we're not going to move work with you until we get our five things, you know, that we believe in. Or, and then the, the, the majority says, well, you know, we don't want to concede any of these five things because these are the five things we care about. You know, you're not, you're not going to get any kind of traction. And, and that's kind of the crux of the problem is that you have, you know, these sides and then there is this gridlock. And it's because it's the same people being elected, people who are in the system, people who work the system, um, you know, I, I know how hard it is to kind of to run for office. I've done a lot of work on campaigns and it's not this is not a like, simple, intuitive process that anyone can do. You need a lot of money, you need a lot of connections and you need to have the party to like you as well. And so if you're, you know, an outsider of it, you're not really going to get any traction. So you're kind of dead on arrival. And so as long as you have basically these, you know, two elite sides of, you know, you kind of have. And, and it's it's fracturing a little bit, but I'd say the the you still have the powers between your kind of corporate Democrats and then your you know establishment Republicans. Um, you're you're not nothing's going to get done. So well, you then my say, question to you is: Then does it end up getting done by judiciary by the judiciary? And is that really what the Supreme Court should be doing? You know, because I've seen that now they're going to start you know suing to try to stop him from doing the executive orders. And then it goes to the Supreme Court to decide whether or not he has that power to just sit there, which I guess in theory he does. But a lot of people are saying, it just seems like now we're on a, a turning point where before, you know, I mean, was it the past six administrations haven't didn't do as many executive orders, even close to what Biden has done? And I guess my question is, why do people feel that this is the way to do it? 
I guess there's. Just... I mean, it's because it's it won't get done the other way. I mean, I, I'm not exactly the biggest fan of um, kind of Biden's approach on, on things, but you know, to his credit, I mean, there, nothing will get done. And the, and then and then you're in the same point. You know, I, I can see from his side, he either you know does the kind of executive orders, um, or he does you know does nothing and kind of trusts the system, and where nothing gets done, and then you know he gets blamed for that. And, and but that's... there has to be there has to be some debate on it. I mean, there has because when you look at just some of the issues, whether it's immigration, you know, or whether it's the pipeline, or whether it's you know transgender now, you know, uh, what would you say, males who have now become Trans- females? Yeah, transgender well, how, yeah. male to female trans transgender people in, in women's sports. In in women's sports, these are things that. When he signs this executive, well, as they say, with just the, the, the signing of the pen, the stroke of a pen, have turned people's lives upside down. And we're not talking, you know, maybe half the country, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, but it's going to, where can it lead? I don't think it can lead anywhere, but more distrust and more, more, uh, you know, disillusionment with Okay, so this is the way you're going to do things. This is the only way that you can see on getting things done. Then why have Congress? And I think that's really, you know, that that's the problem there. And, and, and my proposal for the solution would be that we need to get people, your everyday people, you know, not your corporately backed pack money types. Uh, you need, you know, your your neighbors need to be running for office. You need yep. to be running for office um, because voting just at this point isn't enough because when your two options to vote are red team, blue team, then you're never going to, you know, it doesn't matter what you're voting for. You're just voting against the other team. And I think um, the only way that you're going to be able to get the common citizen, your da- neighbor next door is if you do have term limits because that, in a sense, has probably also created this huge, well, you know, when you have power, you're human who wants to release the power. Who, who wants to say, hey, no, you know, I don't want to stop making 172000 a year and getting free health care and, you know, uh, being able to, you know, be looked upon. And now, you know, politicians will never quite be like the actors and celebrities we have in Hollywood because I think they're even seeing celebrities in a better light than politicians of course but they have a lot of power they have a lot of influence there's been and, a bit of a push for i feel like politicians to have a little bit of a celebrity-ish um appeal i mean if you're yeah a, like it's hard for them to get it they're not if as you're a, a trump's you know trump supporters i mean i feel like a lot of them uh look to trump like they would follow a celebrity i mean you know especially culturally yeah. and then same thing with you know I mean, look at Kamala Harris. She is kind of that, um, or even the squad. I mean, they have a, uh, I would yeah. say, pretty similar to a celebrity. I mean, you know, they have the following and they're, 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 you know, I guess, diehard fans who are a little, a little bit nutty to everyone else. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the celebrities, though, overall, for those who follow them, see, I, I don't get it. So I don't follow celebrities. Um, but, um, I think they seem to make a lot of money, much more money than the politicians and more they're more influencers, I guess, on our society, on our culture than necessary politicians. But but you're right. The politicians now are getting a fan base because I guess that's part of social media. 
you know, is, is, is be making these people popular based on how many people follow them. In my not, opinion, Trump, not on what they do. Yeah. And in my opinion, Trump really changed that. I mean, I, I was, um, I was in, uh, in politics for a while before Trump. And I know you were even longer, obviously. Um, and, and there really was, I remember, um, in 2012, and I would say Obama as well. Obama also kind of created a little bit of like that celebrity politician kind of thing. Um, but I remember before, uh, before that, I mean, it was hard to get people to put like signs in their yard or bumper stickers on a car and no one wanted to do that. And then, um, and then with these elections, I mean, as people were like dying, you know, with, with Obama, you know, the hope and the change logos. And then with Trump, I mean, you know, people had like 10 flags on their cars with Trump, you know, the Trump flag. I mean, right. it's, it was, um, really interesting how that's changed because it went from well, kind of a boring, you know, boys club to whatever it is now. <laughs> but you know what though? When you think of when Trump first ran, you know, and then people got excited and signs and stuff, it now turned to where if you put up a sign, you got death threats. I mean, in four years, it totally changed me. I know people who wanted to put up Trump signs, but were afraid of the reaction they would get. And, you know, you heard it probably everywhere in the United States where people would be, their houses would be egged or their signs would be torn down or, you know, they would be ostracized. There was, a, yeah, there was a lot of that under um, in the previous administration as well with Obama. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, you I don't know, remember that. It, it, it would definitely, there was, you know, there was some issues, you know, people had, you know, with the, uh, the uh, Obama, some of the symbols there, as well as, you know, the, the equality symbol when kind of gay marriage kind of became a popular thing. I mean, it's definitely gotten worse. And I think that's still part of the same issue we're having um, where, regardless of not just politics it's it's still become this us versus them so if you're on the left you know you're you know pro-choice you're anti-gun you're um pro you know pro-immigration and there's really can't deviate from that and the same thing in the on the right you know you have the same thing so in the opposite so you're pro-life and you're pro-gun and you're anti-immigration and there's no real ability to deviate that because there is this um this kind of elected system of where it's really you have to fall in line with the parties well um, this is this is i'm sorry to interrupt you but this is my question too or this is what as a baby boomer so i've you know been involved in the democratic party was raised in the democratic party and i always remember it was about working hard freedom of speech you know, if you didn't want to listen to somebody, what they said, walk away, you know, but they had a right to be able to voice whatever they said. They could stand on a soapbox on the corner and say the hell to America and death to America. But they had that right. You just walked away. You didn't have to listen. That was always what I was raised on as a Democrat. Now, it seems like the Republicans are more about freedom of speech than the Democrats are. And I say this because you know, I am on Facebook. I know you think my pop, my generation ruined Facebook for you millennials. We probably did. But I see it that if I voice a difference of opinion, you know, my gosh, I'm labeled right away. You know, Part, and, and parties and, change. And, I mean, that, you know, I, you could say the same thing with the, the GOP. I mean, the, the GOP went from country club, you know, for the wealthy types to kind of a, you know, a, a, a populist, um, 
well, I mean, there's still some fight infighting, obviously, but the general shift is more to a populist nationalist side. So, you know, the parties do change. Um, I think there's no tolerance for difference of opinion from both sides. I think, you know, obviously you are more on one side or the other, but there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely very little um, allowance of any kind of deviation from, uh, you know, any kind of deviation from the doctrine of the parties. Um, and actually, yeah. that's kind of what we're going into with. Uh, another thing I want to talk about is the two-party system, kind of the pros and cons. But um, I do want to shout out just if anyone is interested, kind of has any of their own opinions on executive orders or two-party system, anything like that, uh, feel free to give us a call. The number to call into the show is 323-744-4831. That is 323-744-4831. And as well for our international listeners, the number for you guys would be 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'd like to mention that if you'd like to know a little bit more of what the Canada's Platform is about, you can go to our Facebook page, which is Canada's Platform. And we also have a website, CandidatesPlatform.com. And we're also on Twitter as Candid Platform, at Twitter, whatever, I forget how it goes. And um, and you can kind of go more into depth on what and how we think we can help in fixing the situation and helping local people run for office and educating voters on knowing their vote. Mm-hmm. And and that's really, you know, kind of where we're going with the executive orders and the two-party system. I think the only way to defeat it is, as I said before, to get everyone out who wants to, who's able to, to run for office and get more participation through it. And and this whole idea we have, this whole Know Your Vote initiative, as well as CandidatesPlatform.com, is all really about making it easy and intuitive for you, one, to run for office. So if you want to run for office, if you know how to use a computer, if you know how to use Facebook, you can use this system. It's easy. It's simple. Everything's connected to it. If you need want to run donations through it, if you want to you know, interact with people, if you want to post videos, all of that is available for you to use. And then if, let's say, for, you know, obviously not everyone can run, but if you want to get a little bit more information, you can go onto the website make an account as not a candidate, but just a voter. And then what you can do is you can look at anyone in any any of the seats that are running. You can see what they have to say, as well as whoever's running in any seats you can vote for. And you can interact with them, because the big thing is, is that it's really hard right now for, uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of people running for office. It's really hard to get outreach, because everything we do is the old-fashioned way. And so this is basically where we want to bring voting into the 21st century, the age of Aquarius. And, and you know, it, I'm sorry, it's interesting that you say it that way as a millennial, right? You see it as everything's very done the old way, where people like me from my generation are saying, if nothing is being done the old way, there's no more town hall meetings and nobody knocks on your door. It's all on the Internet. So they get overwhelmed, my generation. Well, how do you know you Google somebody? It's very hard to like if somebody hasn't gotten a DUI or <laughs> had an article written about him, you won't find them. If it's just, you know, Jane Doe running from a little town or wherever or a suburb of a, a big city, unless she's done something bad or been given an award, she's not going to come up. And so you won't be able to know who she is. Exactly. And I think the that's kind of the issue is nowadays, if you're not 
you know, if, if you're independent, there really is either politically or just kind of minded, independent minded. There's no way to get it out because it's, you're right. They don't really do town hall debates. They don't really do knock. You know, it's very hard to get people to knock on your doors. No one really wants to do it. And, and you know, for fair reason, it kind of is not exactly fun. But um... No, it's not. But it's always, you know, that was the pain you had to do when you were on campaigns. But you're right. I must say, like, I want to just, when you were talking about being independent, you know, in recent years, I would think most people choose not to identify themselves. I think in Arizona, the biggest party is the independent party, which is really, there is no party. It's just people who are not registered Democrat or Republican. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, speaking as an independent myself, I find I have beliefs on both sides. I might believe with the progressives or Dems, or I'm not sure there's the Democratic Party now represents so many factions, but I might agree with them more on environment or say, you know, Native American issues, whatever, or, or women's choice. But then on the other side, I might agree with them more about, I have a problem with what, what this is the second, what, two trillion, three trillion. We just passed a multi-trillion a two, a two trillion, bill. A two trillion dollar bill. Okay. So that was in December, right? Or whatever. And now we're going to pass how many trillions is this one going to be? So this one's two as well. So I think they've, the, of all the stimulus bills that they passed, I believe we're at about like six and a half trillion total now for last year. And that is more money. You were telling me something I found very so, interesting. So yeah, so in the last year, more money has been printed than in the entirety of the United States. Uh, so basically year 1776 or whenever the money was uh, was started. But let's just say 1776 to 2000 and uh, early 2020. Uh, the same amount of money, less money than in March of 2020 to February of 2021, which is mind-boggling. Um, I would think that that would scare people. I mean, how can you just print money without having everything collapse at a certain point in time? Right, and and that's kind of actually something interesting. Um, you know, talking about everything collapsing and and money uh, is the kind of the big uptick of um. The whole thing with, you know, the GameStop and the stock market, as well as the rise of the cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty good tie-in. So that's going to be what we're going to be talking about after our quick little break. Uh, we're going to be kind of going, delving into, uh, you know, kind of cryptocurrencies, as well as kind of how that affects the kind of um, the rise of, I guess you'd say, the Internet um, individuals, the, the little guys, and how we kind of want to capitalize off that a little bit by rising for little guys in politics as well. And I want to definitely talk about some, I think what I found in, in reading a lot of articles is that surprisingly, there seems to be one thing that both progressives and conservatives are kind of agreeing on, and that is maybe it's time to get rid of the two-party system. So we'll talk about that when we return. Back to the CP show. This is your host Diego with my with our co-host Kathleen Gomez. And, hello, uh, <laughs> hello. And we were um, actually just as we were talking about before the show, we're talking the whole episode. This theme of this uh, show is really talking about the 
the kind of the the elites on both sides and how there is this big movement to kind of get the little guys um kind of get some power back as well and um i mean what's more topical right now than to talk about um the interesting news of last week and this week with both the um, gamestop shortage as well as the kind of rise of crypto um including the quite funny dogecoin which is a a meme currency um but you know i was actually talking to someone who um who's got involved with it and he made it brought up a good point because uh for those of you don't know it uh cryptocurrency is kind of a it's a peer-to-peer based currency so instead of your kind of traditional it's not held by housed by you know a national bank or anything like that it's all done online and the way um the one you probably know the most bitcoin and the way that works is you you mine it using CPU processing power. <laughs> this is just already <laughs> lost me as a baby boomer. I'm already like, oh, think of it is... as like your computer's mining the coins essentially okay. for you. Um, and obviously, the stronger the computer, stronger the axe, the more you can go. But there is a limit to it. There's, I believe, 20 million of these, co- uh, 21 million of these coins. Um, and then you have other coins, other cryptocurrencies that don't have that limit. And one of them, especially today, is called Dogecoin. And for those, uh, Maybe you don't know, Doge is kind of a, a meme. It's a Shiba Inu dog. Um, <laughs> you and... lost me. I'm <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. I am well, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's funny. It's just, it's, 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 that's the thing is, it's a funny currency. It was, it was a meme. It was a joke really created. Um, and it's a currency that's kind of controlled by uh, whatever Elon Musk tweets. Um, <laughs> so the more he tweets about it, the higher it goes up. I, I you know, uh, it just went up today a ton because he uh, posted about it. So, <laughs> But and and I and I was talking to someone about it. I said, "Well, you know, but this isn't real." And he said, "Well, you know, how is the U.S. currency any more real when you think about it? We're we're a fiat currency. We're not based on anything. Um, we're not, you know, up to the gold standard like we used to be. And you know, it's just like we were talking about earlier. You can just print more, and that's just what we've been doing. Is we've just been printing more, uh, you know, all year. And so there's this big kind of um movement i think of of you know these independent little guys who want to band together and that um, was on reddit right didn't is that is so that yeah they... so reddit reddit's reddit. called wall street bets and um basically what it is is instead of having you know your traditional hedge funds where you know you have a core group of you know guys and they're basically taking tons of people's money and, and investing it these were just you know everyday people with their own money um and they just basically look at it and they kind of go as a group you know um and they buy and sell stocks and, and that and that was kind of when you know when i was looking at that i was thinking you know that's kind of exactly what i want to do with candidates platform but obviously politically so instead of having you know these hedge funds or you know political parties as if you will who basically you know are controlled by you know, and the parallels I think are pretty funny. So it's you know they're controlled by a core group of people, and they're they're basically taking all the the either money or or the political kind of power, and they're they're you know directing it in the ways they want to go. And what I want to do is I kind of want to create the Wall Street bets of politics in a way, and you know basically be able to get people to come together, your everyday ordinary people who maybe you know they don't have a ton of money and they don't have a ton of this political power but what they do have is they have numbers and so we can get people to basically say okay you know instead of this massive debate over you know the, these trivial issues um 
you know, I think a really good one is is kind of these this whole thing of uh, the kind of, in my opinion, silliness of um, Marjorie Taylor Greene and then Ilhan Omar, where, you know, they're basically both of the sides are basically kind of just saying, like, well, we want to get you off of the committee because you said this. You know, Marjorie said admittedly insane stuff about, you know, Jewish space lasers. And then, you know, Ilan Omar said something about, you know, some people did something. And it's like, oh, well, well now we need to get them off of the, uh, you know, we need to get them off these committees. We need to, you know, they're already been throwing impeachment around on Biden and they impeached Trump. Right? And it's it all crazy. stuff that no one really benefits from. Like because... AOC. She was sitting there, you know, on her Instagram crying about she was afraid to come out of the bathroom. Now, anybody that's been in Washington knows that where she was was far from where all the action was happening. It was a far like a mile away. It was in another building where nobody was at that was part of that whole thing. Right. So and, and... she lied. So under these new rules where you can't say things that are not true, shouldn't she have a consequence for lying? Well, and, and that's the thing is, is that ultimately it really doesn't affect your everyday person. These issues, no. and that, that's kind of my point, is that these issues are all, you know, they're important, but they're not the most important thing. And they're not what we should be spending our time on. We shouldn't be spending our time on just kind of, you know, throwing insults and, and kind of, you know, complaining about this member or that member. They should be working together to do things that need people need help with. What are we going to do with rental assistance? What are we going to do with possibly rental forgiveness? Uh, a UBI, possibly. These are all things that, you know, the everyday working person needs, you know, stimulus money, um, unemployment. Where are we going to get our energy from? Are we now going to be solely, you know, dependent on foreign oil again? Right, or, or renewables. I mean, these are all things that need to be talked about. And these are all things that I think everyone in the country wants to talk about, except the people currently running the country. Um, and they would rather, you know, get, have everyone be involved with the kind of this, uh, these small silliness things. And, and that's the whole point of Tanner's platform is to get the people who do want to talk about this, get them in office, get them to be able to bring things to discussion and not just, you know, in Congress, but also in the state level. I mean, budgets are huge in the state level because if, you know, the federal money, the federal government with this stimulus money, they're giving it to the states. And a perfect example um, in Arizona, the governor there, Darducey, he padded a lot of stimulus money to basically pad up the budgets of various state government programs. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we need to be talking about. And whether you think that's, you know, good or not, I mean, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not saying either way, but it needs to be talked about. And we need people, we need you to run for office to do that talking, to make sure that these things are held accountable and that the two parties are kind of held accountable to the voters and instead of, you know, us supporting the party and us supporting the GOP or the DNC and, you know, red team, go red team, go blue team, they need to be start saying, okay, well, are we supporting our constituents again? Right. And they're currently not. I mean, I know you had some things you want to talk about with the two-party system. Well, I think one thing that Canada Platform will also be used, and it, it'll be a really a, a great resource, is that if you're not within the party, for instance, when our speaker last Two weeks ago, Lori Kilpatrick was talking about she wanted to run. She went to a Republican state meeting, I guess, and she was telling them she wanted to run. Remember, she mentioned that that some bigwigs came over to her and whispered in her ear, well, you can't run. 
and, you know, we don't want you to get into trouble. You know, you, you know, it's probably illegal what you're doing because she was not, she had not been built and, and I guess shaped because when you go and you want to run for even like say a, a, a local office that you need the Republican or Democratic party to support you, you got to work within the system, which means you sell your soul along the way. There's no other way to say it, but that's what happens. So as you get the support, you've got to make this deal and that deal, compromise on what maybe your true values are. So what candidate pl platform can do as an independent, you can get your word out. You can get organized. You can have what we want to do is have debates on this on this platform and you don't need the party behind you. And I think that's going to be, that's extremely important because if we want to get these people excited to run and realize how important it is, whether you're in this local school board or city council or county supervisor, or county recorder, if you're not within the system today, and that means the party system, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to get out there. And that's what we can do for you. The candidates platform you don't have to be in the system to be able to run. And so this is what I would like to talk about. It really, today, you know, I, I've been doing some research, reading both progressive and conservative and kind of middle road kind of articles. And I've been very, very, it's been very interesting to find that both sides are saying the same thing. It's kind of time to get rid of the two-party system. And one of the one of the things that kept on coming, they were all referring to, was in George Washington's farewell address, address to the nation. Um, he's also, also been remembered for warning against hyper-partisanships. And this is a quote. The alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has per Perpetuate, I can't even speak, I'm sorry, perpetuated the most horrid enormities. Is it itself a frightful despoticism? I can't believe I can't say this right now. John Adams, Washington's successor, similarly worried that a division of the republic into two great parties is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil. Now that was said, what, in 1776. And when you read it, when he talks about you know, sharpened by the spirit of revenge. It's like he's exactly speaking on what's happening right now. And that's what we've become. These parties have become, I think, legislating or doing things simply on revenge, not on what's good for America, not what's good for the people, but a revenge against each other. And I think that that's really made us divisive and it's, and the system is breaking down because of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think that, you know, as, as we were just talking about, I mean, it's really um, just a lot of it is unsubstantial, kind of just we're going after him because, you know, you're on this, this, you know, you're on the other side and we, we want to, you know, get you to lose. I mean, something I think I, we talked about a while ago, uh, but I think it's just a really damning story was um, I had a friend who was working pretty high on a, on a congressman's um, campaign. And uh, and when he won, he was in his office, and he said that uh, there was a something that they were passionate about uh, supporting, and they really liked him. This was a Republican, um, and there was another Democrat who was who was talking a lot about it, and um, 
he said, well, you know, maybe I'll go and we'll create a bipartisan um, committee and we can kind of, you know, get this, um, get this on the floor. And so he brought it up to some of his other members of the GOP. And, and basically he was told that the Democrat was in a seat that was up for reelection and it was very shaky. And that if he got this win, it would hurt the GOP for, um, for this Democrat to pass this bill and that there's the likelihood of being reelected was great. So they said, basically, no, you can't do this uh, because we want our, our, our guy in there. And then the Democrats do this as much as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, and, and that's the whole issue is that it's not about, you know, helping someone out or doing what's better best. It's about hurting the other side and kind of keeping with your side and not, you know, not getting anything done. And it goes back right. to the, you know, why everything was broken. And the well, you know, you know, in the in the mid 1960s, I mean, this is what I I really kind of think that there was a four party system, um, like through the 60s through the mid 90s. You know, American politics had something. They did have something more like a four party system. They had liberal Democrats and conservative Republicans alongside with liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats. There was the the oh her name was uh, Millicent Finwick was from. I think she was from Maine or New Hampshire, and she was a Republican, but she was a great lady, and she was also very liberal. So, yet very Republican in, in, in you know, business ways, but very much for women's rights and women's choice. So, that that's something right now you will not find. You will not find a moderate Republican or a moderate Democrat. And I must say, I, I kind of give credo to Clinton because... That's, he formed the, I think it was called the Leadership Council. And they were really made up of moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats who could come together, have d- different viewpoints, but realize that each side had something to give and, and to learn from. So in that sense, you know, heck, that, that, that's how things got done, but that's not here anymore. And I actually think we have somebody on. Uh, line that we would like to ask you a question. Lynn. Um, Lynn, can you hear us? Hello, yes. Um, I like your political commentary ever so much. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've listened to you, uh, actually when you were with Senator, uh, Michael D. Brown too. Yes. And I was just wondering, are you affiliated with, um, the indivisible, um, dot org groups? Uh, what do you mean? You're not. No. No. Okay, there's over 6,000 of them. I actually ended up, because of what you were saying earlier about the two-party system, and I had some problems. I was working with Native Americans, long stories, and, you know, it was disagreement with how the uh, government, fossil fuel uh, um, government subsidies were staying put with that industry. So got in a lot of um, hot water with the dim, both parties, actually, in some ways. So... Anyway, uh, I went, um, got involved with the indivisible.org group and I wanted to get uh-huh. that out to a really, um, really, there's over 6,000 of them. And then also to Sunrise Movement, really important. Um, neveragainaction.org, uh, really, really important group to get with. And our revolution. Uh, dot org, um, from per- Bernie, um, his, um, some of his basic platform, um, that he was trying to integrate, especially like audit the Pentagon and, you know, uh, good, some good stuff. 
Uh, anyway, um, I just wanted to get that information out to you. And then also, too, there's, um, communi- there's a website. It's called Community um, uh, Heart and Soul Services by an Orton uh, Family Foundation put it out, the prototype. And then they also have next cities um, online working together. And then also to transition us.org. And, you let know, work a- with let different... Let me ask you um, something, Lynn. Let me ask you something. Now, do you believe in the two-party system or do you think that there is room for some independent voices? Because what I find is that if you have a different idea or even if may you may agree with this or that or you want to maybe bring both sides together, there's no room anymore for that. Do you agree with right. that? Oh, yeah. It's a mess. And they do it on purpose. That's the real mess. It's all on purpose. Okay. Right. It really nice. is. And just to get this out here, it's really important to, to watch the, uh, instead of going for new healthcare systems, we're still going after more robotic, biochemical, yes. nuclear, uh, biological warfare, you know, viruses, uh-huh, development. Um, really, it's really important that you guys, um, with your computer expertise, you know, really do put pressure on the Pentagon and then different, um, avenues, I hate to say it in Hollywood, that we're promoting uh, war is being fun. So we're in some deep problems, you know, with um, the MKUltras and what they've done with the military-industrial complex. I mean, most people don't even know there's over 883 military bases that we have in, in 184 countries. You can go to the YouTube, um, Annie Jacobson, S-E-N, and she's really wonderful. She's a investigative reporter. You might want to, you know, Get her involved too with some of your, your, um, programs and what have you. But Veterans for Peace and, um, Code Pink are, uh, dot org. They're both, um, dot org. Really important groups. And then UNAC, uh, United National Anti-War Coalition Group. They're really, really good too. And then Justice Democrats and others. But, you know, we have to bring them all together. And really yeah. people have to know worldwide, uh, everyone has the same basic needs. Red, yellow, black, and white. Everyone has the same basic emotions, and the biggest thing on this whole planet, the whole discovery is, <gasps> any red, yellow, black, or white, if you're angry or upset, your answers are inside of you. We can stop all the wars. Well, and that's With actually internet, quite interesting. cell phone language apps, it's all, we can change everything. Answers well, are within, a, and people can Google that. So thank you. Because um, one thing that we... Uh, she actually mentioned was the uh, the military industrial complex, which is um, kind of <laughs> unique because <laughs> that's something that definitely, um, at the end of the day, the budget is massive, and um, what you have with this is you do have again kind of what we're talking about with there's no real um, kind of accountability, and so what you basically have is you do have these two parties, and you know even regardless of how you feel about the military industrial complex, if you, you know, like it and or if you think, you know, the budget is the way it is or needs to be higher, there's never really any ability to basically talk about that budget, even when um you know, when we had kind of the divisiveness of the Obama era as well as the Trump era, one thing that kinda stayed um stayed the same is the uh is is the budget the military budget you know right. um, obviously it was expanded a little bit with trump but it wasn't you know it wasn't small um under any of the democrat democratic sides and so you know we there is things where you know when we do have um 
you know, a huge amount of, un, you know, unemployed as well as, you know, um, homeless people in this country, you know, is maybe spending all this money on foreign wars, is invading other countries. Is that really the smart idea to make? And that's something that I think is, you know, so important for people to hop on Canada's platform to get their message out, to be able to say, well, you know, obviously I support the troops. Obviously I want, you know, um, to have a strong military presence. However, you know, we just spent $70 billion on one plane that doesn't work. Maybe we take some of that money and put it towards the uh, poor communities that need help and need $1 billion to basically get infrastructure to fix the roads so that their cars don't break down every, right. every couple of weeks. Well, let me, let me, let me go, let, let's kind of go back to what we were talking about, the two-party system. And, and I think this is really important. One of the reasons that I see being in the age that I am in the baby boom generation is the fact that there is no moderates, that there is no, you know, at, at one point, you know, you used to have, remember, the conservative Mississippi, Mississippi Democrats and the liberal New York Democrats. And they might have disagreed more than they agreed in Congress but they could get still elected on their, you know, like on their brands, right? So you could have the Vermont Republicans and the conservative Kansas, Kansas Republicans who had a difference of opinion, but, you know, they could work with each other, the Dems and the, and the Republicans, and, and that was done quite a bit. Well, now that's just, that's just gone. That's just completely gone. They're extinct now. So, it, the four-party system, you know, collapsed into what we have now, which is a two-party system. And I'm going to just read a quote, a statement that was made by a, an interesting guy. His name is Lee, Lee Drutman, D-R-U-T-M-A-N. He's the author of Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop. And he re- recently wrote an article in The Atlantic, and it was January to January 2nd of 2020. And he says this. He says, The triple developments, meaning the nationalization of politics, the geographical cultural partisan split, and consistently close elections, have reinforced one another, pushing both parties into top-down leadership, enforcing party discipline, and destroying cross-partisan deal-making. Voters now vote the party, not the candidate. Candidates depend on the party brand. And everything is team loyalty. And that to me is kind of, you know, sums it all up why the system is broken and it's not going anywhere. Now, I was reading kind of Atlantic is probably considered conservative. Then there was the, the N, um, is it called the NOQ report, which is definitely very conservative. And he also was talking about, you know, the Democrats have done a total flip flop from what they were saying 10 or 20 years ago, you know, that, um, it's now about the party. You have to vote for the party. You're no longer voting for the person. So I decided, okay, well, I better find, you know, uh, some other research, some, say, a progressive, uh, newspaper. And I did. It's from the, it's called the Highlander, which is from the University of California Riverside community. And this young woman, or I don't know, I shouldn't say young woman, this woman, Evelyn Homan, wrote from the progressive side. She feels very much that the focus has to be more on voting for individuals that they actually admire as human beings and who share the same beliefs as them. The party system veils political candidates. In other words, you, you know, 
an activist, I think that she, what she was saying too, was she saying, you know, somebody can say, oh, I'm an activist, you know, I'm a progressive, but do you really know what that person did? As long as they use that brand, I'm a progressive, I'm in the progressive movement, I'm an activist, that's all they kind of need. Nobody is really going down, peeling the layer apart to see what that candidate really has done in the progressive movement. So she feels that if the two-party system is done away with, it ha there'll be more chance to get progressives, progressives elected because you're going to actually clearly focus on what the person supports rather than what their party usually upholds. Well, and if voters... Sorry, uh, sorry, one last thing. If voters are more progressive, they can more clearly see which candidates are truly progressive and which are disguising themselves as activists to gain office. Well, political opinions are very nuanced, and I think a good way I like to think of it is, you know, have you ever taken a political compass test? It's uh, with the four boxes. No, I've never done so, that. When did that come? That so come it's, up? it's basically, a thing, where, it's basically a thing where uh, you answer questions and, and there's a kind of a, a cross chart. And uh, on the left side is uh, more of a, a left-leaning opinion on things. And then on the right side is a right-leaning opinion on things. And then as you go up is more authoritarian and down is libertarian. So it's kind of the two opposites. And ask you various questions on all, all kinds of social and fiscal issues. And then it kind of puts you on that chart and you can see where everyone else is, uh, famous people that are on that chart. But another thing that has kind of come up recently is there's the political test where it's just basically a, a single axis. And it's basically, are you a Democrat or Republican? Are you left or right? And you lose that nuance because, you know, I would say that someone who is a, you know, a, a far, uh, an authoritarian, um, you know, an authoritarian right-leaning person, but moderately right-leaning person, is very similar to someone who's a authoritarian left-leaning person, and and vice versa. So that's kind of the thing is it's in kind of what you're talking about, what she was talking about, where we have lost that nuance. Right, it. right. I I can't believe how fast the time is is going by. I mean, you know, we yeah. just kind of <laughs> just kind of scrape. The, the tip of the iceberg because I think that I, I really was kind of amazed that I'm finding that the progressives and the conservatives are actually agreeing that the two party system is dead. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I think it's a, it's a, it's a it conversation maybe done. we, yeah. we need to talk about <laughs> later on too and then another show. The two party needs, uh, system needs to go and uh, I think we hope to be part of this, part of the solution. And, uh, you know, getting people to know their vote and getting people to log on a candidate's platform and utilizing that feature of basically knowing who they're voting for as well as making running very easy and approachable. Exactly. Um, on our next show, which is February 20th, I'm really excited. I, uh, we're going to have James A. Miller, Amington Miller, who is a PhD and is a public education advocate. Um, our next show, one of the things we like to do is, is, is take these little local offices and explain to people how important they are, like school board. You know, I'm going to use my little community, Douglas. Douglas is very small little town, 16,000 people. We have a lot of people that come from Mexico to go to school there, but the budget is $20 million a year, $22 million a year. And so Mr. Miller has done a lot of research on the importance of school boards and 
I just want to kind of give you guys uh, kind of a little bit of a background of what he's done. He's um, an education advocate, activist. He's an independent scholar, African-American, historian, and writer. For most of his life, he has been involved in and with public education, either as a student, university professor, researcher, uh, substitute teacher, and full-time classroom teacher, K-12. through Dr. Miller has held professorships in sociology, African-American studies at Wayne State University, the University of Detroit, California State University at Northridge in Los Angeles, and the University of California in Los Angeles, UCLA. And he has been a senior research associate at the National Institute of Education in Washington, D.C., um, the Social and Cultural Foundation of Education. Um, he was the host and producer of the Internet radio show on BBS Radio, called The War Report on Public Education. So please tune in on February 20th, um, 7 p.m. California time, 8 p.m. here in Arizona, and listen to this man. He has got a wealth of information on the importance of school boards. It is so important to the everyday life of your child. So I'm going to close out with that, Diego, and what would you like to say? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to talk to Mr. Miller. I think, um, you know, obviously the next show will be very specific about school districts. They're super important and we need more people involved with them because they have massive budgets. Yes, so, massive. Um, <laughs> and so I think definitely, uh, if you're going to talk about accountability, we need to talk about that there because not only is it the massive budgets, but it's the future of the country. That's um, right. I just wanted to say, uh, we're, Thank you all for listening. We are going to be signing off pretty soon. I hope everyone has a great rest of their weekend. Hope everyone uh, you know enjoys the Super Bowl. Real quick, Kathleen, who are you going for? Oh, Kansas City Chiefs. Are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> uh, you know, you know that, I, I hope it's a good about, game. Oh, 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 I can't do it right, <laughs> but they have a great song. Yeah, yeah I mean, hey, it's, it's a good game. I'm a Giants fan, so I don't really care. But uh, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> I hope all you folks have a great evening, great Saturday, and we will be here in on February 2nd with James Arvington Miller. Sorry, sorry, February 20th, James Arvington Miller. Yes. Don't forget, Candidates Platform on Facebook, CandidatePlatform.com. All right, everyone, have a great night. <laughs>